Welcome to episode four of the Four Out One In podcast with your host, George Hamilton III. And Carlos Costas. How you doing, bro? Uh, I'm feeling good. You know, the first three episodes finally came out. It was long overdue, uh, but I'm happy about that. First thing I want to say is congratulations to the Timberwolves. Uh, they won a championship against the Clippers, so props to them. I'm going to go down as one of the greatest games in history. How, how you been, George? Uh, I mean, if we're going back to the play-in, I mean, the unfortunate news of Paul George on the day of was very, very sad to say the least, because I thought we would beat the Pelicans, as we both did, and it was shocking to see us lose to the Pelicans, but props to them, because they are giving the Phoenix Suns a series. <laughs> yeah, that, that boy B.I. Is, is not playing around. Mm-hmm. I mean... Since this is this is probably going to be a quick episode, we're just going to run through the first two games of each series. Uh, three, if you are if you look at the Sixers and Raptors, uh, but you want to just jump into it off the bat. Let's do it. All right, so we're just going to go in order of series from which teams is leading all the way down to like who's tied. So I mean, in the Eastern Conference, we'll start off with Sixers and Raptors. The Sixers lead 3-0. Uh, I mean, we both had the Sixers in seven, but uh, I don't know if you've watched any of the games, but the first two were pretty much blowouts as Maxi and Embiid dominated. And sadly, Scotty Barnes got injured. Uh, I think Joel Embiid stepped on his ankle, if I'm not mistaken. I was kind of out when that happened, but I was like listening to the game through my AirPods. And uh, once I heard he was out, I was like, this series is pretty much wraps they get they don't have a chance but uh what's your opinion of the Sixers Raptors series so far I mean I to sum it up with one sentence I think Joel Embiid is dominating um I don't think the Raptors have an answer for him I mean uh he's he's doing it all for them and shout out to Tyrese Maxey our most improved player pick uh 38 in his debut so um props to him helping his team win uh but yeah I, I did see this going in seven, but after seeing a B play, I think it's wraps in the next game. You don't think the Raptors take at least one? No, not anymore. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think the Raptors lose at home, in my opinion. They win tomorrow, Philly finishes up in five. I mean, I guess we can move on from that series because literally Sixers just need one game. <laughs> Three L, yeah, not really much you can say anymore. Uh, next, we'll move on to the Heat and the Hawks. The Heat lead 2-0 as they won game one, 115-91, and they won game two, 115-105. Uh, we both had – did we both have the Heat in six? I know I did, but I can't remember yeah, what you had. we did. Okay. I, I had both, Heat in six, too. Okay, so we both had the Heat in six. Duncan Robinson in game one had 27 points, eight of nine from three, and Jimmy Ford in his 21. And then Jimmy last – was that last night or was that Tuesday? Whatever day that was, at 45 in game two. Uh, that series, in my opinion, if the Hawks don't win tomorrow, this series is wraps. He will take it in four. Trey Young is struggling to find his shot. I mean, he kind of played well yesterday, but he had 10 turnovers to go along with his 27 points. And let's just make just be honest, that's not going to get it done against this Heat team as they're able to switch one through five and guard everything. Uh, what's your opinion on this series? Uh, I, I think Miami is 
is looking all the part of a championship team. Um, I think over the past couple of years, Spolster has really shown that um, he can coach and, and adjust to, um, to any defensive style, so to speak, like the whole like uh, walling up Giannis uh, worked and you can see just versatility switching one through five um, on, on Trey Young and, and the entire team is, is really paying dividends uh, for them. And I think um, them not having Clint Capella is also uh, something to note that they don't really have uh, a big presence down low that Trey Young is kind of used to. Uh, the past couple of seasons, and I thought it played a big reason why they made a little bit of a run last year. Um, but I honestly think the Heat uh, very, very well could sweep. Um, I think Jimmy's is, is going to do what Jimmy does in the playoffs. Uh, for this Heat team, that if Duncan plays, not even you don't even need the twenty-seven points, but just to be solid, um, I think they can definitely sweep the series. Yeah, they, we haven't even gotten a, a Tyler Hero game yet off the bench, so <laughs> that just goes to show you how well prepared and well coached this team is. Just off the bat, we haven't even heard a remnants of Tyler Hero's name. It's just been Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and then Duncan Robinson the first game. And I mean, the role players are stepping up, as you know, heat culture. I uh, guess we can move on to the, the, the series everyone thought would be competitive, uh, the Celtics and the Nets. The Celtics won game one, 115-114 on Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating layup. And they won game two, 114-107. I think we both had the Nets in seven, right? Yeah, we did. All right. I guess just to start this off, just on the net side, KD uh, is getting slandered on Twitter. Uh, let's just make that fact known. Uh, he has played bad, and I'm pretty sure he would probably he himself would probably say so. He himself would probably say so. Uh, he's missing easy shots, even though guys like Jason Tatum and Grant Williams are playing great defense. They're contesting all of his shots and making it difficult for him to score. But I will, in the two games I've watched, he's doing, he's being careless with the ball, I would say. He, when he's driving to the basket, and it's happened so many times, I kind of figured like he would probably notice it by now. But when he drives to the basket, as soon as he puts the ball on the floor to like go to the paint, there's already like a help defender coming from either side. Like I think in, I think it was the Saturday game or maybe the Tuesday game. Uh, they slowed down the the replay. And KD, as soon as he got to like where the free throw line was, it was like, I think it was Jason Tatum on him. And then as soon as he got to the free throw line, you could just see Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown at the elbows of the free throw line. And they are just converging on him because they're basically not, they're basically daring a guy like Bruce Brown to shoot the ball. And uh, as for the Celtics, uh, Tatum and Brown stepping up. Tatum had, I think, like, what, 36 or something like that in game one. Brown, Jalen Brown, he's kind of getting – I mean, he's playing well, but I, if I'm a Celtics fan, I would like to see him kind of go in his bag a little bit because 
if you notice when Jalen Brown has a smaller defender like a Patty Mills or a Seth Curry on him, he sort of shoots a jumper instead of using his size or try and trying to get fouled. I mean, I know Drummond's in there, but Drummond probably isn't going to do as much. He's not really a shot blocker. So I would like to see Jason, uh, not Jason, Jalen Brown use his height advantage over some of the shorter guards for Brooklyn. But what's your take on this series? Uh, from the Southern, I'm, I, I agree with you with Jalen Brown, um, not taking advantage of easy buckets like that. I think uh, I've always thought this, he's a tough shot maker uh, or a tough shot taker and a tough shot maker. But when there's an easy mismatch in front of him, um, I don't know why he hasn't been taking it. I mean, to, to his defense, he's been um, kind of getting in his bag, but kicking it out to shooters. I think from these two games, that's that's the way I see the Celtics playing. It's a, a driving and kick team um, right now, and they've been hitting their shots. Uh, but yeah, I think Jalen Brown definitely um, can step it up on the offensive side. Um, and I mean, Tatum is is doing everything for that team. He looks, I think the whole Celtics team, like they look like they look hungry. Like they they all look like all five on the floor. They all look like they want it more than the five that Brooklyn always has. Um, and I think that's why uh, you're able to to close out these these close games um, like this. And then back to your point that uh, Katie's getting doubled every time. I want to say that Jason Tatum is playing phenomenal defense yeah. um, on Kevin Durant. Uh, people always sleep on his defense, but I mean he's showing that he can play defense at a very high level. Um, I mean Katie still had 27, uh, but it was on like four of 17. Uh, so he's he's not letting anything easy for KD. And then um, the point that you brought up that they're doubling him um, uh, on the on the dribble. I the, every single time I seen that that the defender on Bruce Brown is always the help defender. Mm-hmm. Is always the help defender. Um, and I think uh, who did they play in the plan? Who did Brooklyn play in the plan? Uh, they played the Cavs the first game. Oh, they played oh yeah, Cavs. The Cavs, um, I remember the Cavs, they kind of played KD like high, almost like a full court press type. And then they let Bruce Brown kind of facilitate at the top of the key. But the Celtics team um, is kind of doing that. But again, you see how they're pressing uh, KD. But to, to, the, to the Celtics defensive credit, um, they're not even getting the ball to Bruce Brown. And even then, he's not making the same reads because Boston plays such good defense on rotations and help side um, that they don't have it. Oh, also, congrats to Marcus Smart uh, winning Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, first person, first guard since Gary Payton to do it. I saw this uh, this tweet that said Marcus Smart won the first, like, like damn, here, like, fine, here you go, like, for his award, because he's been talking, like, the talk for, for so long about way that award, it was just funny to see that, but um, it's going to be interesting to see if, if the Nets can, can pick it back up at home, um, I don't know if their home crowd is going to be rocking the same way Boston was, because that place was loud, uh, but I'm super excited to watch this series. And then, yeah, role players for Boston stepping up big. I thought it was interesting that, I mean, it makes sense that Ime Odoka played uh, Pritchard in the off minutes that Kyrie had. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's so solid. I knew out of college, uh, veteran point guards like that might not get the greatest uh, of minutes, but it's in moments like 
like on these type rosters where you want a veteran guy that has been in these type of situations to just be solid. That's all you need from him just to be solid in, in the minutes, in the few minutes that he gets. And he's doing that. And Ime Udoka is coaching that team very well right now. Um, yeah, excited to see to see that one. The Celtics League 2-0. Or do you want to change your prediction right now? No, I still got I still got Nets and I still have faith in the Nets. I think they can take the I think they can take two games at home. You figure they just losing fourth quarter, losing in the fourth quarter is what's killing them. I mean, obviously the first game, KD was ball watching and just let Tatum cut back door for an easy layup. But uh, they're just losing in the fourth quarter. It's not like they're playing bad. And even uh, yesterday's game or Tuesday's game, they basically led all the way up until mid-third quarter. And then the Celtics made a run in the third to keep it close throughout the fourth and then just turned up in the fourth, late fourth quarter and ended up winning by a very comfortable margin. But uh, what's your take on this Ben Simmons returning in game four, Dukes? I mean – Damn, they might they might need him to at least just play some defense on on something. I mean, if Ben Simmons is even half of what he is, I think Brooklyn could use a guy like that. They don't need him to score the ball on this team. You got enough scoring. But I mean, look look at the impact that Bruce Brown had thus far in the playoffs. Um, if you kind of look at archetype uh, of the two of them, it, Ben Simmons is like an all-star version of Bruce Brown. Really, that's all you need him to play. So I think if he comes back and he is healthy and he can play, doesn't get like first game back jitters or anything like that. Um, yeah, they, they can they can come back in, in the series. Uh, I still want to say Nets uh, in seven, but if the Celtics win in, in six or seven or who knows, they might sweep or anything. I just think it's um, a good story for, for the NBA that the Celtics win and the super teams can can finally be over. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, at the the Nets, I, I think they play tomorrow. If they play tomorrow, well, tomorrow's Friday. If they play Friday or Saturday, they need to win game three. Because if they don't win game three, there's no point in bringing Ben Simmons back for a game four. Because you're probably not coming back down 3-0. <laughs> for sure. It, for po sure. it possibly can happen. I mean, it's never happened in the NBA before, so it's very unlikely. But I highly, there's no point of risking Ben to come back just for a potential losing game four scenario. Uh, in that case, I guess we can move on to the last series, which is tied between the Bucks and the Bulls. The Bucks won game one, 93 to 86, and the Bulls won game two, 114 to 110. Uh, we both, well, you had the Bucks in a sweep, right? <laughs> yes, and um, I stand by that prediction, even though it's wrong. I, 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 was, I can still argue my point against that. It's, uh, I had the Bucks in, in six. I felt like I didn't think Chicago would take a game on the road. I thought they would win both their home games and just and probably lose game five and game six. But uh, they took they took a split, which is very important to them, especially with Middleton going down in game two. Um, game one was sort of a... I don't want to say a stalemate, but it was basically Giannis doing everything for the Bucks, and then like everyone else just having a kind of sluggish and slow game. 
And then obviously for the Bulls in game one, the DeFrozen memes started coming out because DeMar was like six to 25 and Levine and Vooch didn't really show up to come show up to play. And then obviously the rest of the team kind of relies on those three players. So when they didn't play well, it was just a, a sluggish type of game from the Bulls. But in game two, DeMar came out, scored 41 on good efficiency. Uh, the Bucks, as I said, Middleton was kind of getting hot in the second and third quarter until he went out with his injury, which is a sprained MCL. And he's probably, and I know not even probably, he is out for the rest of the series. And I don't know where the Bucks go from here because they will probably have to rely on Drew Holiday scoring at least 25 plus. I mean, he's capable of it, but that's not something you want from your third option. And you're probably going to have to rely on heavy bench scoring to make up for the fact. I mean, Giannis can still go out and get 30 and 40 on any given night, but that's probably not what you would want against this type of Bulls team that's going to be throwing different defenders at them and just clogging up the plane like they did in game two. I think um, I think uh, Chris Middleton being out is a huge loss for the Bucks. I mean, that's your your sometimes one two option on offense. Uh, second All Star player and him going down is going to be uh, a very big thing to see if if um, who picks up that scoring load um, on the offensive side. And then uh, to to the Bulls, um, Demar putting up forty one. He looked like a prime Kobe for a stretch in the mid range over there. I was watching like man, this this, this man. It, no wonder he got some MVP nods earlier in the season. But um, like you were saying, with Giannis kind of assuming the offensive load still to be determined in the next games, what happens. But, I mean, the recipe to slow down Giannis is kind of there uh, a little bit. And I think um, having the two other weapons of Holiday and Middleton was the big reason why the Bucks were able – to win a championship and Giannis was still able to dominate because you still had to worry about the other two, but um, losing, losing him, losing Chris Middleton as a score uh, is huge, but I, I don't know. I still think uh, the Bucks can take this series. I mean, this was what, like the Bulls first top three win of like the entire season. No, this um, was their third, third, Oh, either way, that's, that's, it's not even enough to win a series. Like they haven't even won four games to, you know, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they take this momentum because they they had uh, a decent lead um, in the fourth and held on to it. Uh, maybe they take this momentum to take two home games in Chicago. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I do think the Bucks still take it. Maybe in like seven. I had the Bucks in four again for all the reasons I said, but uh, I still think the Bucks are going to pull through. In the series i got bucks i still have my prediction of bucks and six but they are gonna have to find some creativity in their offense because yesterday once middleton went down it was sort of like just you give Giannis the ball and let him bully his way through to the paint and score and obvious and that's just not gonna work against this bulls team now that middleton is out because that's one floor spacer and one three-point weapon that's kind of down i mean they got guys like Grayson allen bobby portis and guys like that to replace 
Middleton, but his offensive load is going to be heavily missed in the series, in the rest of this series. Uh, guess in the West, guess we can move on to the Western Conference now. We'll start with the Warriors and Nuggets. Warriors lead that series 2-0 as they won game one, 123 to 107, and they won game two, 126 to 107. Uh, you had Warriors in seven, right? Yes, but I take it back now. <laughs> and I had Warriors in six. Honestly, this might be Warriors in a sweep. <laughs> I need the Nuggets. I need the Nuggets to win at least two just so that the Jokic discourse can stop. Uh, but speaking, we'll just start with the Warriors first. This new death lineup that is called the PTSD, which honestly, <laughs> honestly, I like the nickname of Poole Thompson. Of Poole, Thompson, Steph, and Draymond, and then you can just add a Wiggins. But that lineup Steve Kerr rolled out in game two was phenomenal. I kind of imagined it would happen. It would happen eventually. I just didn't know the time. And, I mean, with Steph even coming off the bench and just lighting up the Nuggets, I don't know what you can do with this team if, if, if that lineup is just out there, especially if Draymond defensively is going to guard Jokic and do a very good job of doing that. Uh, what was your thoughts on it, on that, on this series and the game in general? Uh, I mean – for, I, I think it's just so crazy that Steph comes off the bench um, and this team is like as dominant as they have been in the past two games, which is so crazy to me. Um, with all the Jordan Poole hype, I do think he's playing at an all-time high confidence. This is like uh, like Tyler Hero in the finals-esque, well, maybe not the finals, we'll say the playoffs, uh, in the bubble-esque confidence that he's playing with. Um, just to compare the two. Uh, but this team is scary. I don't even know what else to say. This team's scary. And then, yeah, I guess I, I would say that the Nuggets are kind of playing like Jokic versus the Warriors. This is what this series has turned into because no one else on the Nuggets uh, kind of knows, not even knows, isn't doing, they're not doing anything. It's literally just Jokic trying to will his team to win. Um, and I mean, there that clip where uh, I think Steph hit a three, and then you see Will Barton and all of them yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's every NBA fan watching the Warriors right now, saying, "How are we going to stop this damn team?" But yeah, I I, I take back my prediction. Warriors sweep. Say that again, because you kind of cut out. Uh, I, I'm I'm taking back my prediction. I'm saying Warriors sweep. All right. I guess we can move on to the number two seed or the number the series. Oh my gosh, the series between the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves, which is tied one to one as they're currently playing right now. The Wolves won Game One, one thirty to one seventeen, and the Grizzlies won Game Two, one twenty four to ninety six. I think we both had the Grizzlies in six, to be honest. Uh, first game, Cat showed up. Anthony Edwards showed out. The Grizzlies kind of came out sluggish, and from there it was pretty much well, the game over once the second and so once the third quarter kind of hit. And one thing that stood out to me was the fact that Cat was kind of dominating Stephen Adams, as I originally 
thought that would happen. And going into game two, Taylor Jenkins made the adjustment of taking, oh my God, I almost said Tyler Adams, almost uh, taking Steven Adams off the floor. And that resulted in Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark getting extra minutes, which ended up helping the Grizzlies in a pretty good way as they dominated game two and John Morant basically did jaw things and the bench and Desmond Bain showed up and that was pretty much it. I mean, I kind of stopped watching that game. I think I the third quarter hit because I was a blowout and I can't remember which game I switched to, but uh, what were your thoughts on this series and those two games in general? I mean, I mean, you said that the Grizzlies came out flat in game one. Um, it was a combination of that and uh, the duo, you could say, of of Cat and um, Anthony Edwards. Uh, shout out to Anthony Edwards. His playoff debut was so fun to watch. Um, he's so, I don't know, he's such a fun player to watch. He's one of my favorite players. Uh, but the Grizzlies, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Kind of inexperienced team. This is the first time this young of a team is like two seed uh, playing them. Not really a lot of experience on their end. So coming out flat was um, not surprising. But again, game two, um, Taylor Jenkins, again, proving that he's a great coach, um, making adjustments where he needs to. And I think Cat is such a confusing player to me. Like you have no idea what like version of cat you're getting. If you're gonna get all star cat or whatever cat you got last game, like he's so um, hit or miss, which is so like confusing to me. And I understand that Timberwolves fans like have having a love hate relationship with him because even me on the outside, it's like sometimes I want to watch him because he's amazing, and other times I'm like, why? Do I even bother watching this guy? But um, I'm sticking with my prediction. I still say Grizzlies in six. I think um, them taking a game, uh, taking the Grizzlies taking game two back um, was big time. And then uh, Minnesota is going to have to prove themselves at home. And I think the Grizzlies are very capable of taking uh, one, if not two games um, on the road. So we'll see how, how that series plays out. Yeah, well, right. Oh, well, uh, I just looked at the score. The Grizzlies made up. It's now 51-44 at halftime. So uh, they're trying to rally the comeback early in this, hopefully in the second half. They'll, uh, we'll see what's going on. I'll keep track of the score. But uh, what stood out to me in game two is Cat only having seven shot attempts. <laughs> and it goes back to your point of you never know which cat. You don't know which cat you're going to get because obviously the Grizzlies threw short of smaller defenders, or I, should, I shouldn't say smaller, but uh, defenders that move quicker than Steven Adams. There we go. Uh, they That move quicker than Steven Adams, and I'm guessing just by the highlights that I watched, it kind of threw what the Timberwolves wanted to do off. And, I mean, Anthony Edwards didn't have the game that he had in game one, so – they kind of struggled to find any sort of offense in that game, resulting in them getting blown out. But uh, I guess we can move to the next series, which is the Suns and the Pelicans, which is tied 1-1, going back to New Orleans for game three. 
The Suns won game one, 110 to 99, and the Pelicans won game two, 125 to 114. Uh, I mean, we both had the Suns in four going into this series, no matter if they played the Wolves or the, uh, the Timberwolves or the Pelicans. Uh, even though our team is out, they got the Pelicans. And well, I just want to talk about game one before I get into game two in the series, uh, before I let you get into game two and the series as a whole. Uh, Chris Paul, 30 plus, 30 points, and I can't remember how many assists, but it was basically a masterclass from the point guard himself. Uh, Booker and Aiden put 20 plus, uh, they got 20 plus like they normally would. Uh, and then CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Valanchunas, they all struggled. And for the Pelicans to have a fighting chance against the Phoenix Suns, they need those three players to play well. And that was the story in game two. I mean, even though Devin Booker came out hot in the first half with 31 points and kind of looks like, <laughs> I don't I don't like using this notion because a lot of people get mad at it, but he kind of looked like Kobe. Um, there was a, once he went out, it was sort of like Phoenix was making, they didn't, they ran the offense but it was like now that they don't have their go-to guy, it's like, where's who do we go to? And I mean, Chris Paul can take over a game, but I, he's not the same player he was probably what like four or five years ago. And I mean, Macau Bridges stepped up, but in the latter half of that game, it sort of became just a three-point shooting contest. It became a three-point shootout between like Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum against like Macau Bridges. And what I'm interested in for game three, I mean, my bad, I should say that I should give Brandon, Ingram, I know I need to give Brandon Ingram his credit, uh, had 30, 36 or 38 on really good efficiency. And I mean, we're seeing Brandon Ingram sort of uh, a coming out party in his first playoff series, which I'm really happy about. I said that he's been one of the more underrated young talents in the league and that now that he's finally in the playoffs he's finally getting his credit uh but going into game three i am sort of interested to see what kind of matchups the the suns put on ingram after his game two performance uh because and i looked over the first two games Macau bridges has only i think played like a total of six to eight minutes on him and with Devin Booker out you're gonna obviously need more scoring but in that case do you put Macau Bridges on but do the Sun I should say do the Suns put Macau Bridges on beat Brandon Ingram for the whole for the entirety of their duration on the court or do you still just keep the Oh, you will throw Jay Crowder at him and then we'll throw Macau Bridges at him. We'll just keep throwing different uh, defenders at him and, to, and see what happens. But uh, what's your take on the series and the first two games? Uh, I mean, yeah, again, shout out to Chris Paul. I, I checked the box score. He had uh, like 30 and 10 game one and then he had like 17, 14 um, game in game two. And shout out to Bi. He was one assist shy from a thirty-seven point triple double. Um, yeah, which is which is crazy for Bi. Um, I don't know. Just thinking right now. Shout out to CJ. Um, I didn't really understand the move, but I could see why he's been playing 
um, at like an all-star level. It's so fun to watch him uh, play and everything too. But um, game game two, or I guess going into game three, uh, like you said, Mikel Bridges is going to have to, or Monty Williams is going to have to figure out what they want to do to stop B.I. Um, and C.J., I think uh, Chris Paul, you're going to ask like a lot of him on the offensive side with book out. And if he, he has a CJ assignment um, on defense, that's going to be a tough thing for him to do both. He's very capable of it, but again, he's like 36, 37, not the, not the same player. So I think the Suns role players are going to have to step up big time. Um, they're going to have to show why they are the number one team in the NBA um, through their depth and everything. Uh, I think um just to pick up the scoring load, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna come from uh, Bridges and Johnson for the most part. I think you're gonna see their numbers go up a little bit. Um, and and even though Jay Crowder splits minutes with Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder got to hit some shots, man. Like this team can only go so far. I think um, if the role players don't play to their expectations, and Jay Crowder is not doing that. Um, sure, he, he's he's defending, he's hustling like he always does, but you're going to need to see a Jay Crowder that you saw like when he played for Miami, like a knockdown shooter, like off the catch, wings, corners, whatever, wherever it is, he, he's a knockdown. And um, I think uh, campaign is going to step up, has to step up uh, to being one of the, one of the, the, I guess you could say having the bigger one of the bigger roles off the bench for that team um, stepping into that role. I think we saw a couple, couple times. I'm not really sure when uh, I, I don't know. I remember specific games, but um, campaign and, and Chris Paul playing on the same floor. Am I imagining this? No, you're, you're right. Right. That's what I was saying. And I, I remember that, that little lineup uh, looked pretty good out there. So I, I'm interested to see if 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 Monty Williams puts that lineup back up because um, I don't think they have any guard defenders uh, that can keep up with if you load up the backcourt on the Sun side with scoring. Um, I don't think Jose Alvarado can can take the load for all of them. Uh, I kind of gonna have to disagree with you on that one. Uh, I think Herb Jones, now that he's not gonna be guarding Booker, he's probably just going to get the the Chris Paul assignment to make it tough on him. And this is a game. This well, I shouldn't even say this is a game, but this is now a series where DeAndre Ayton is going to have to prove, not even prove in a sense, but show that he can be a consistent. 25 maybe 25 and 10 type of guy in uh in Devin Booker's absence I mean I know we're going to get games from McCall and Cam Johnson and uh probably do for a Jay Crowder game eventually but DeAndre Ayton is going to have to step up his production in a sense if he really wants that I mean obviously the whole contract issue with DeAndre was about years but now it's really going to be, can you produce when the star player is out? And I'm very curious to see like what lineup the Suns will run 
Uh, I don't know if you do you start campaign and give backup minutes to Aaron Holiday, or do you kind of run a, a, a tall ball lineup similar to how the, the Pelicans run it, where you have Chris Paul and then you'll probably play McCall at the two, Cam Johnson at the three, Crowder at the four, and Aiton at the five. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that series is going back to New Orleans. The play-in game they had versus the Spurs, the fans were – that energy in the arena was very deafening in a sense. So I'm very interested to see how the defending Western Conference champs come out without their star player. You know, you're absolutely right. I think Herb Jones is uh, going to be a very big difference maker. I don't know how he completely slipped my mind. Um, and to, to your point of, of DeAndre Aiden, I, I didn't really see, not that I don't see him as a factor, but I just think it's going to be a little more impactful um, if you get your, your wing role players to score a little bit more um, than DeAndre Aiden just because – Valanciunas is not like a like a, a liability on defense. I think he's a he's a paint protector, not a rim protector. So people like to sleep um, on his impact on that side of the on that side of the floor. Um, but I don't know, man. I think holding DeAndre Aiden to th this like uh, like expectation, um, not being like super crazy, but I don't know. I feel like he he was already um, asked for a lot like last last year and last season just to step up on the offensive side um but i mean he didn't really do that so i don't know i'm, I'm i guess I'm, I'm just a little skeptical on how much you're going to get from deandre in but you know i think me and you are both rooting for the suns in this series and in this this entire playoffs really but yeah, that's, that was my pick to make the, the Western – or not even the Western Conference to make the finals. So to see Booker go out and probably – and he's basically out for this series, it kind of gives me my doubts considering the way the Pelicans have been playing. But we can move on to the last series, which is arguably – I wouldn't – I would say – nah, I wouldn't say the most – the most – I would no, nah, I wouldn't say the most watched because it's been on NBA TV. Uh, but Mavericks and Jazz. The Jazz won game one ninety-eight to ninety-five, and the Mavs won game two one ten to one oh four. I mean, this was a series that we both were kind of skeptical on. I mean, I we both we said the Jazz would win if Luca didn't play, but if Luca played at least game three, then we had the Mavs in at least six. And um just going off the first game, Donovan Mitchell, he had two points in the first half, but then ended up scoring, I think, like 30, 31 in the second half, and they ended up winning. And the whole discourse on Twitter was that Rudy Gobert took one shot, but did everything else on the court to help the Jazz win. And so that was the opposite in game two, where they actually gave Rudy the ball. And let's just be honest, he missed several different lobs. <laughs> he missed several lob attempts from pass off passes from Mitchell and I think Conley. And I just want to give my open apology to Rudy because Jesus Christ, the, the Jazz are just horrible defenders, perimeter defenders. No one can stay in front of their man. 
The fact that they let Jalen Brunson get 41, 8, and 5 on 60% shooting from the, the field and the three, and they let Maxi Kleber score 25 off of eight threes is just crazy to me. Like, I watched that game in its entirety, and literally, like, if Roy, I've always said, like, if Royce O'Neal is your best perimeter defender, you're not probably going to have success. No shade to Royce O'Neal, but, like, He's just not he's, – he's not that guy. And he, even he was getting beat off the dribble by by Jalen Brunson. But from – just and – I, and I like Donovan Mitchell, but as a star player, he's got to be better defensively. There were too many times where he was getting beat off the dribble by Dinwiddie and, and, and Brunson. I mean, could we even throw Reggie Bullock or Dorian Finney-Smith in there? But if you're the Jazz, you could not allow this Dallas Mavericks team to get a game without Luka. And, I mean, obviously, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, which is the Mavs game comes, or it's about to start, actually, since it's 9 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Luka is out for game three, but he's going to return for game four. They have already said that. And this now becomes a series where the Jazz really need to win tonight because if they don't win tonight, this series is over in probably five, maybe five, if not six games because Luca is going to come back and, and be himself. But uh, what is your take for, uh, what are your takes for this series so far? First off, don't disrespect Jalen Brunson like that. The man is very capable of putting up 41 points on any night, maybe not on 60 and 60 splits, but he's very capable of, of dropping 41 on you, all right? So, so I will not tolerate any Jalen Brunson disrespect on this podcast. Um, and secondly, I agree. Uh, the Jazz are absolutely terrible outside of, uh, of Rudy Gobert. Um, and yes, like you said, uh, they're not going to have anyone to, to stop Luka because they're also bad on defense minus Gobert, but it's not like Gobert is going to take the Luka assignment. Um, so they definitely do need to win here. And I'm very excited to see when Luca comes back because playoff Luca is he's something else. Um, but man, this makes me think of what I said earlier with Peyton Pritchard, why you draft a veteran guard for well, maybe not for 41 points, but to <laughs> hold you in situations like this. Um and I mean, Jalen Bruss is just—he's gonna get a bag this this summer, at least I hope so. But um, I'm—I don't even know what else to say about this game. I think you said everything pretty well. I mean, you want to stick with your prediction of Jazz in six? I know I got that. I, I didn't think that the the Mavs were gonna take the game in Luca's absence, but I mean, the the Jazz are just—I don't even understand what's happening. Like if Cat was a the NBA team, he'd be the Jazz. No, I'm going Mavs in six. Uh, literally, Luka comes back. He's dropping 30-plus like he's did on our team the last two seasons. Thank God we didn't even get him this year because <laughs> I could not stand with without Kawhi, uh, him dropping probably 40 points a game on us. And I just wanted to put this stat out. I think it was by uh, Tim McMahon of ESPN. He said that the Mavs made obviously the Mavs made 22 threes in game two. 17 of those were uncontested, and seven of those seven, seven of those 22 were Maxi Kleber made threes, which just goes to show you that literally the Jazz 
they can't stay in front of their man. And then when they, when the ball handler sort of goes to the paint, it's literally, it's literally the same thing the Clippers did to the Jazz last season, sort of with Reggie Jackson and Paul George. It's drive, get by your defender, and kick out to basically, well, I mean, in this case last year, Terrence Mann. But literally, in this case, in game two, it was Jalen Brunson, Dinwiddie drive, kick out to Dorian Finney-Smith or Max Kleber for three. Like, you can't get beat the same way you got beat last season. Like, you have to make an adjustment. And I know Rudy Gobert, We I picked on Rudy Gobert last year because he was making all this money. But after watching so many Jazz games this year, I can't. I, I feel sorry for that man because he's having the – What's the word? He's having the responsibility to have to guard the paint and having to guard his man, who's basically just a stretch five in this sense, because the the Mavs really don't want they don't have a traditional center. So he's having to guard him having to guard the three and the paint, which obviously is impossible. Uh, I feel bad for him. And honestly, if the well, I mean, if Luca coming back, they lose in the series. So at this point, you might as well just say your goodbyes and just break this team up because it's not. It's it's happened too many times to where you're getting beat, especially no. And I didn't mean no shade to Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson's my guy. I've watched many Magic games this year, and he's played really well. He's gonna get his bag this offseason, whether it be from the Mavs or a team that wants him really bad. Uh, you 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 seriously cannot get forty put on you by Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Let's just be honest. <laughs> that that is very fair to say, but yeah, I think it's about time the Jazz um, break that that duo, if you even can call it that. Up, um, yeah, I don't I don't see where else that that roster is going. Yeah, well, uh, this is the. Those were our recaps for games one and two. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure. Are you busy Sunday? Can we record Sunday if possible? If nothing comes up, uh, we'll see. We'll we'll talk after after yeah. the show on that. Yeah, I got but. you. Uh, this was our game one and game two recaps for all the series. This is the end. This is the episode four of the Four Out One In podcast with your host, George Hamilton III. Carlos Costas. And we're signing off.